This is a Career Channel program from UC San Diego Extension. Visit us at uctv.tv slash careers for videos, employment news, and trend articles to help recent college graduates and those in career transition bridge to better employment. So how many of you in the audience get excited when you hear the words public sector? Let me just tell you, it is awesome to work in public sector. I didn't always think so, though. Um, I can tell you that on my glory days at San Diego State University, when we go by all those recruitment booths, um, I would look at those counties and cities and walk by and not even make contact, eye contact, um, because it just didn't seem exciting to me. It didn't, you know, it didn't appeal to me. It wasn't my passion. I didn't understand about what it meant to serve the public. So I went along the ways in my private sector career, and of course, when you're 20-something and getting out of college, your primary goals are to get a good job, make a lot of money, find a career path. Um, But along the way, I found that that wasn't necessary as fulfilling as I had hoped. Um, And I have to say, I mean, I'm a pretty honest and humble person, so when an opportunity came along to work for the county of San Diego, I thought, retirement. I'm going to go to work for the County of San Diego because they have an awesome retirement and I won't have to work that hard. (laughs) Wrong again. (laughs) So let me just tell you a little bit about the County of San Diego. We have about 18,000 or so employees, give or take. Um, And we do a variety of work uh, with environmental health, Uh, human services, public safety, um, many, many different career paths, many that I didn't know about when I was passing by those booths out at San Diego State University. so for each year, uh, I'm over the area of recruitment and selection, we get about 70,000 applicants for about 3,500 jobs or so. So highly competitive, very highly competitive. But we're not without our challenges as well, much like the private sector or the nonprofits. So when, some, when something's in short supply in private sector, it's most likely in short supply in public sector as well. Um, those areas right now for us are engineering, healthcare, um, some of the biggies, psychiatry, that's, that's a big for us. So what I wanted to focus on today is in order to prepare for a service in public, or prepare for service in public sector, what can you be telling your folks about wanting to work in the public sector environment? First is to be aware of the organization's missions and goals. So for us at the county, um, our, our overarching uh, mission is the noblest motive is the public good. But what does that really mean? Um, What does it mean to serve the public and be in the best interest of the public? So for us, um, many of you may have heard of the county's Live Well San Diego strategy. Um, it's, It's come into play in the last 10 years or so, and it really touches every single job that we have at the county of San Diego. Our employees are expected to know how their job feeds into building a region that's, um, uh, that contributes to a healthy, safe, and thriving community. Um, and that, that is the most important thing. So really understanding the organization that you're working for. Second is to be interested in more than just a job. Um, if you're interested in just coming in and doing your 8 to 5 or whatever alternate work schedule you have at this point, um, you'll have a job. Uh, but will you make a career of it? Um, and, and what we find for folks coming into public service is they really want to do more than just have a job to come to every day. 
Um, so getting out there, understanding that at one time or another, we will all be recipients of public service. Whether we pay our taxes, we buy or sell a house, uh, we need some help along the way as far as finances or health care, we have to call a police officer at some point, we will all be recipients. So really treating the community as we want to be treated ourselves. And finally, I encourage people to be willing to serve in a variety of ways. So while you may have a degree in a particular area or your career path may be in a particular area, um, be willing to start lower. Be willing to work your way up within the organization. Be willing to put yourself out there and volunteer in different areas. Join an employee resource group. Um, you know, Participate on a panel that might be outside of your comfort zone because those are the opportunities that potential hiring managers get to see what you can do. Um, and I can tell you a number of opportunities that have come my way, and I've been very fortunate, have been as a result of, you know what, hey, I volunteered to be on the Halloween committee this year. Okay, great. They know I can put together a schedule. They know I'm not afraid to help build a stage, that type of thing. So really working outside your comfort zone is an excellent way to become ready for public service. Um, with that being said, uh, we will turn it over to our panel. I think I've got the questions. So to begin, uh, for Graham, a portion of our students and job seekers have barriers to employment like criminal records or lack of employment experience. How can these individuals gain access to public sector jobs? Well, first of all, I have a hard time sitting when I want to talk about things I'm passionate about. And Brandy talked about who wants to get into local government. I've got to tell you something. I love what we do. And I know I'm going to blow through my four minutes, but I promise I won't. So um, when, I, when I interact with my staff and I see a rec leader working at a, a soccer camp, he's not just showing up to teach kids how to kick a ball. He is a mentor to kids that need it. When I see that rec leader interacting with a young man with Down syndrome and showing him love and compassion and helping him interact with the other kids in the program, I see quality of life improved in a community. When I, when I watch my um, public works guys filling potholes, I, I watch people with a smile on their face as they used to go the dunt, the dunt, now uh, uh, fly smoothly through an intersection. That's the kind of cool things that we do, whether it be saving lives as a, as a firefighter or a police officer or helping kids at day camp or being or thinking of innovative ways to do things that we've never thought of before. That's what gets me really excited about local government. And there, I think there's a lot of opportunities. One of the challenges we have in local government, frankly, is the massive liability, political liability, that management has for all of its employees. And because of that, we have a pretty strict uh, regulations on who we can hire with criminal backgrounds. And that was the question. I'll be honest, it's very difficult to hire folks in certain fields that, that we employ, police officers, firefighters, anyone that works in support staff in a police department um, with any sort of criminal background. Um, we drug test regularly. So recreational drug users have a hard time finding a place in local government, but we have a super high standard. Uh, we have a long waiting list to get into um, our fields. And uh, again, we have this massive political liability that if, if, someone, um, if someone were to do something dumb 
and the media would find out that they have a criminal background, and by the way, the media watches us all the time, there would be a lot of blowback on not only the city management, but also on our elected officials. And so for that, we have to be really strict. How, how can you get in, though? Um, certainly, as, as you're counseling students that may have criminal backgrounds, uh, it's important that they really look at what the application says. Um, it's important that on their application, they're super forthright. If someone has a criminal background and doesn't reveal that on the application and we find out, which we always do because we do background checks, you're el immediately eliminated. However, if um, you explain what happened, we're, we're always willing to give people a chance because we are desperate for great talent. So I think that, op that openness and honesty up front in the application process can help mitigate any things that um, may be out there. So. Hopefully that helps. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, next, Jacob, in your experience, what are the qualities that make someone a successful public safety employee? I've had the opportunity to work with many successful public safety employees, and this isn't just the fire department, but the police department as well. And they have many just great qualities about them, but I would say there's maybe two or three that they all really share in common. And the first one is you have to have a servant's heart to do the job. And if you're not getting into this career, or if you're getting into this career for any other reason than being a servant to someone else, then you've lost already, in my opinion. And that's just honest truth. Or in our department, in the fire department, if you're looking to get into the career to individually run into burning buildings every day and rescue people, wrong career, again. I know that's what it looks like in the movies, but that's not so much the case. So I just wanted to kind of brag about some of uh, our guys that I've had the opportunity to work with. Um, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Station 17 in City Heights, anyone's familiar. The, the crew there, so that fire engine's one of the busiest in the city, the West Coast, and really the country. And that fire engine alone will sometimes run 7,000 calls in one year alone, just that one fire engine. And 85% of those calls are actually medical emergencies. So I feel like the true character of a servant really comes out when you're on that fire engine and it's the 30th call of the shift. You haven't slept for one second. It's four in the morning and the person calling 911 was calling for something like abdominal pain, which they've been having to, for two or three weeks and then decided at four in the morning, that's when they wanted to get it taken care of. So to me, the, the true servant, it's the, the person that shows compassion to every single person, every patient that calls 911, regardless of how tired you are, how long you've been working, or the current circumstance. That's a true servant's heart. And that's, you have to have that. And secondly, I would say, Commitment, that would be the, the next quality or attribute that you'd have to possess. An example, when you're a fire recruit, which is an entry-level position in our fire academy, there's days that you don't want to be there. And to be honest, probably most days you don't want to be there at all during the academy. It's not too fun. Um, but a successful public safety employee, they base their actions on the commitment they already made to the fire academy, to their crew, and then ultimately, after if they pass, the citizens of San Diego. It's not based on their feelings at the moment or how hard something is or the challenge. So it's kind of a 
loving your neighbor type of mentality. You have to have that as well. So at the end of the day, it's going to be having a servant's heart and having full commitment. Those are the two things I would say. Great. Thank you very much. Beth, is teaching a good alternative for adults who are farther along in their career? How can one successfully enter this profession later in life? I think you got a sense from me that I think it is. And at this point, it's a very interesting path. Sometimes it's an alternative credential path. Um, schools, and, schools of education are customizing and working on the length of the time that it takes to get a credential and can have you in the classroom after doing three to four courses, sometimes in compressed formats, because you're a little further along in your career. Um, wonderfully, in the last six to seven years, we've seen an increased pressure for folks to come mid-career. And as I have spent my career advising um, uh, 25 to 35-year-olds, um, thinking about teaching as a springboard into then graduate school or subsequent work is not the only path. I encourage folks to flip it. Um, I think also you have to remember that you are subject matter experts and that you have an expertise that can jump kids ahead in really profound ways. Structurally, we're seeing, thank goodness, enough opportunities and pathways for that to happen. There are a number of universities and schools of ed here in San Diego that are tailoring their credential uh, process to returning adults. And that's the phrase that you're always looking for, their euphemism. Um, and they generally involve uh, some form of distance education, which I need to say to you all, if you have a bias against distance education, you got to let it go and it shows your age, right? Um, it, and, and having lived most of my career in the academy, I had to go through that process. And blessedly, I had the opportunity to sit on some committees that were beginning to craft ways to implement distance ed in high quality, high impact ways. And what I basically learned is more attention can be gained often, often in both asynchronous and synchronous uh, delivery capacities when we're talking about distance ed. And many of the programs here in the city of San Diego and in the county are offering a combination of those modalities. In the classroom, perhaps once or twice a week, in the evening, and the rest of the time you are in, a, in, uh, in your K-12 classroom. Um, I think you all know that you're accessing content in your jammies late at night, early in the morning, on your lunch hour, and we know that in order to meet the, the needs generated by the teacher shortage, we have to have that content on demand. It doesn't mean that folks are, who are accessing it are any less qualified than the, than the traditional age folks who've set aside and been able to reorder their lives to step into graduate school full-time, right? Few people in this day and age, as we're looking across sectors, have that luxury. And when we're talking about the impact of student loan debt, limiting the options that you have, look for those programs. We want you and we need you. Come out of the lab bench, come out of the firehouse, come out of the public sector and spend some time with the teensy people. Thank you. We have a question from the audience for Graham. 
are public sector employees with life experiences similar to those of the people they serve, for example, criminal background, better suited to assist the public? So the question is, does it help you to serve those that you have a similar experience with? I don't know if that's a, a necessary qualification, but back to what, what Jacob was talking about, you have to have a servant heart. And if you have that compassion for others and that really that charity for others, you, you don't have to necessarily have that life experience. You can, you can feel that empathy. You can feel that love for others and that can rise above maybe you having that exact experience. I've at least seen in my career, as I've sat on interview panels, um, people with lots of experience, great resume, uh, really well-spoken, you can tell that they're not passionate about what they do. Um, And then I'll have a candidate that maybe doesn't have as much experience, and as Beth talked about, has that passion for what what they want to do. They want to be a servant, like Jacob talked about. And when I score individuals, they always rise above. So as you interact with people that you're preparing for the job force, it's important that they recognize careers that they're passionate about and help instill that, that desire to serve others. And I think that will help rise above the lack of experience that they may have or that, that life experience that they may have. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and I should probably clarify, um, I can speak for my own organization. Not everybody who has a criminal record um, will necessarily be excluded from employment. Um, we look at things like the nature of the crime, um, how long ago it was, has there been any subsequent types of things that have occurred, the type of job they are applying for, and things like that. So a mistake you make when you're 16, 17, 18, or, or younger, um, and you haven't repeated it, and you're now a 30-something in the workforce looking for a job, that doesn't necessarily preclude you from being employable. Um, in final uh, wrap-up, uh, one final question for all of our panel members, if you could answer briefly. What role are you finding hardest to fill within your organization? Jacob? So we have uh, many roles within uh, our organization that present different challenges, and this is anything from the entry-level position of fire recruit to firefighter, firefighter, paramedic, engineer, captain, and then we have four levels of fire chief. But each of uh, these uniform employees, they started as a fire recruit, so I'll kind of just touch on that a little bit more. And fortunately for our department and most fire departments, there's always a uh, large number of uh, candidates for the position. And when we have openings for fire recruit, we'll see is anywhere from one to 6,000 people apply each time. And if you go to bigger departments than ours, up to even 80,000 applicants for a job. So that's where the, the challenge sets in. How do we pick 30 people for this fire academy when there's thousands of qualified applicants? So that's where the challenge really lies. And I've had the opportunity to work with just a great diverse fire department and meet employees, future employees and candidates that were really from all walks of life and anywhere from, I'm talking ex-Navy SEALs, pararescue, doctors, lawyers, teachers, uh, Olympic athletes, you name it, and they're applying for the job. So no matter what the background is or unique experience they bring to the table, there has to be two questions that are really answered for them to get a job. And that's, are they going to be successful in the fire academy? And then is this someone that you're going to want to work with for the next 30 years? So that's how we go about filling rules. Yes. Um, so this is my experience in working for three different cities in this county, um, and, and all three of them had the same 
difficulty in attracting these three areas. Um, anyone in the police department, whether it be a police officer, partly because of the stringent requirements that we have, but also, frankly, right now, just the public perception of being a police officer, um, there's a lot of animosity towards those in law enforcement, so it's hard to attract people to be in that field. But there's a lot of folks that work behind that police officer in records maintenance, in lab, um, ma uh, lab management, a lot of those types of fields, it's hard to find recruits for those as well. So there's a, I think there's a lot of things that you can do in law enforcement that doesn't necessarily put you out on the front line holding a gun, having to deal with some of the dangerous situations that they deal with. So that's, that's sort of one field. The other is building inspectors. There is a shortage of building inspectors in this county. And in fact, most cities offer signing bonuses to bring building inspectors on, and we steal each other's building inspectors left and right right now, um, almost to an epidemic portion. We've even had sort of informal truces between cities that we won't steal your building inspector if you won't steal our building inspector. So um, in, in terms of creating curriculum at the community college uh, level especially, if there can be opportunities to um, provide some training in that area, it's a huge demand right now. And then the last area is just engineers and um, constru construction management folks. Very difficult. A lot of um, bright engineer types have gone to more the computer side uh, with, with the, the explosion of high-tech jobs. And so a lot of those, those sort of inclined people have steered away from civil engineering and have gone to more electrical engineering or, or computer sciences. So those are another area where we have a, a real dearth in, in um, candidates. Thank you. Graham and I are going to have to call a truce on the engineer swapping for a little while. <laughs> uh, Beth? Uh, you know, I will say that when, you, when I talk to both teachers union officials and school district officials, superintendents, HR directors, they tell me exactly the same thing. There's almost exactly a one-to-one -one overlap in that Venn, Venn diagram about what's needed, and you've heard it from me. Culturally proficient teachers, science and math and technology areas, bilingual education and special ed, and men. Men, we need you and we want you. And think about, we, we always have, isn't that true? Um, how many men in the room had a male teacher when you were, the older men in the room, how many, well, I can't say older, but how many men in the room had male teachers as you were going through? Okay, I got maybe 20 folks. It's a huge need, and, and we know that K-12 education isn't necessarily constructed in ways that are easy for boys when you look at the childhood developmental differences between boys and girls, and that can be a transformative experience for a little boy as well as the little girls and the high school teachers. So uh, you heard me talk about the deficiency areas, and we need you to come out of the private sector and help us for a while. Thank you very much. <laughs>